Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. What do cannibals, secret codes, and scientists, sex wizards all have in common? They are all topics we've covered in episodes of Strangeful Things. We bring you a new story every week and do our best to turn you on to things you might not have heard before. We'll still hit the big topics sometimes too, but we'll always shoot to bring you a fresh perspective and our own special recipe of inappropriate jokes no matter what we cover. From true crime to cryptids to conspiracies, we'll tell you stories about stuff that's weird, gross, scary, and neat, sometimes all at once. That's why we had to invent the word strangeful. See, Murder, Bigfoot, Ghost Net, Inslaw Things is a terrible show name. Oh, and the show is not for kids and definitely not safe for work, unless the place you work at is super chill and cool. To subscribe, visit strangefulthings.com or search for Strangeful Things on your podcast platform of choice. That's Strangeful Things, making weird shit fun to hear. Hello, mystery solvers. It's time for Perhaps It's You, your favorite Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. And we have a special guest today. Hi, Rob. Hello. What's You're happening? joining us over the interwebs. I know. How- we've we've made this happen. It's kind of incredible because the last time it was so damn difficult. I'm really appreciating why the first like five episodes of every podcast is terrible. It's, it's they're all just absolute trash just trash because you have to it takes that long to to figure out how to record remotely and we we cheated that by recording our first episode at the brooklyn park library and then like basically never recording remotely ever because we learned that we hated it so so can you give me like a an idea of what your library is like because uh, i just like you guys are in a bigger city so like mine is very kind of um what we'd call it is adirondacky so it's got like wood finishes on the inside there are stuffed dead animals everywhere so like what is your library like okay so dead animals very different than that (laughs) yeah Hennepin County has a very nice library system and the Brooklyn Park Library in particular, which is not by either of us, but is very new. So it has like a little recording studio in it, which I think is actually meant for like teenagers to record music. Mm. But uh, people from the community can just sign up once a month to to take up a little time. But it has like a like almost like a full on children's museum in it. The place is a palace. That's pretty cool. I wouldn't consider it either of our libraries because it's like no, 30 it's really, minutes from both of us. kind of far. So yeah. I've been there a total of one time. And the recording studio is so popular that we could not sustain going to yeah. that library every time. It was kind of like, well, you can record here once a month and maybe actually. <laughs> maybe. Because, uh, yeah, it's really not meant, meant for that. But it was extremely nice. Uh I did have to crawl through like a hole in the wall at one point to like. Oh, wow. Well, the, it's set up for musicians. So there's actually like one room to play music and then it's connected to another room for your like sound engineer person. But yeah. we needed the microphones like in the same room as the computer, which it's like not set up for at all. <laughs> but hey, we appreciate their help getting this started because we got enough positive feedback to that first episode that we were like, fine, we'll just bite the bullet and buy some stuff. Did it lead to like a ton of five star reviews? 
No, but we no? heard from no. I mean, no, <laughs> but we did hear from um, Mike and Josh at uncovering unexplained mysteries like mm-hmm. within an hour. Oh, I don't wow. know what what kind of Google alerts those guys have set up. Oh yeah, they're, they were, stalking. they're stalking. They're <laughs> stalking unsolved mysteries. But yeah. They were immediately like heard your podcast the second it was released, not even on iTunes. Loved it. Wow. Keep up the good work. And so we were like, all right, I guess. We also didn't know there were other Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcasts because oh, that's yeah, how much that. work we put into like ahead of time. That we zero pre-work went into this, literally. And so all of a sudden it was like, oh, they've had one for like since before Years. you could stream Unsolved yeah. Mysteries. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what black market they had to like go on to find <laughs> the episodes to produce their podcast, but like clearly like that's how much work they put into it. And they're not even the only ones. There was other Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, had we known that ahead of time, we probably wouldn't have even done this, no. to be honest. <laughs> no. But then it helped that we got positive feedback from, you know, experts in the field of Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcasts. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, it was the encouragement we needed to keep doing something very foolhardy. Which is this podcast? Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that because I'm here now. I feel like we should have that. introduced you, Rob. I feel like most of our listeners oh, yeah. probably know who you are, but you are uh, a fellow podcaster. Do you want to talk for like a minute about your podcast since sure. we're on the subject? Yeah. How did you get started, Rob? So I initially got started by helping out with research for podcasts, in particular, uh, Astonishing Legends. And then uh, I started like just like name dropping UFO cases that people could cover for podcasts. And eventually I was like, why don't I just do it myself? Because I'm good at this. Right. Right. uh, So then I created Our Strange Skies in late 2017. We've been going kind of strong for the most part. You know, there have been lulls, but, you know, you have those moments. But uh, I basically talk about UFO incidents. I tell UFO stories, which... uh, there's such a rich history with the subject that you can tell stories endlessly and you'll never get bored. So that's what I've been doing for the last like two and a half years. Have you found that making a podcast has made your life infinitely weirder? Mm, weirder and more stressed out. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. I'm, yep. I'm thankful that this podcast has made my life a lot weirder and mm-hmm. I, I feel like I needed that in my in my life, and I appreciate it. If you can dial that up, yeah, it's it's yeah. definitely adds spice. It's it's like the spice you don't really think that you're gonna add a lot to any dish, and you end up like adding half of it. Yeah, that's that's what this is. <laughs> that's a really good analogy. Yeah, yeah I making this podcast imp- both improved my life and made it so strange. I feel like the weirdest I'm I was trying to think of what would be the the weirdest thing that has come out of this podcast and I was tor- I'm t- feel like I'm torn between someone writing a Mothman romance novel uh, with me and Liz as characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot wait for that to come out by the way. That actually just that might take the cake as like the weirdest thing. Does yeah. anything stand out for you, Rob, as like a moment that made you stop and be like, wow, this, I never thought when I started this podcast that I would be doing this. Uh, in the first episode that I ever did, I, I, I did this stupid thing where I was going through like all the ways that you could sense a UFO. So it's mostly, you know, your visual senses, but sometimes people, you know, hear things or they smell things. And I, when I finally got the taste, I was like, um, don't lick UFOs. Cause you don't, you don't know where it's been. <laughs> that that's been like 
one thing that has come back to haunt me over and over again until I finally did a, a really dumb PSA about it. And then uh, people will still randomly like message me or something and say, I'm going to lick a UFO if I come across it. And I'm like, dear God, I have done the world a disservice, but by I putting that into it. the universe. No, I yeah. think you were very clear that they should not do that. Yeah. And I think with this, uh, uh, case today that we're, that i'm here for i we will we will get that point across i think oh you wouldn't want to like this ufo for sure no. you should put yeah. that on a t-shirt and sell uh, it yeah absolutely yeah uh i'm gonna work on that that seems like a, a merch opportunity is, is don't lick ufos speaking as a a serious businesswoman yeah. there's that's some yeah. advice well, I, I forget that the last time that you were on mine, you were giving me business advice and you were telling me to get abducted by aliens, and I still haven't. But, you know. I thought that would be great for your brand. <laughs> I, just, I still do. I stand by that. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's totally fair. Totally fair. We're serious business women with a serious business, which mm-hmm. is this podcast. Yep. And and you're getting this advice for free, Rob. You're so welcome. I know. I appreciate it. I, I really do. <laughs> The weirdest thing that happened to me lately is that a couple weeks ago, I was sad and I was trying to cheer myself up by looking at old things from Japan from like the 90s. And I came across this bank, like a little children's plastic bank of a penguin that's winking. And I said on Twitter, someone buy this for me. And within minutes, someone did. What? (laughs) And it came in the mail. And it's the greatest thing. Jennifer, if you're listening, thank you. That is I love amazing. that. I love that penguin so much. You have no idea. How do I get that superpower? I want that I, superpower. I had no expectation that that was going to happen. Okay. But it did. And I'm very thankful. It looks like something I would have had as a child, but I just didn't. And okay. now it's, I feel like it completes my life. I'm adding that to a um, winking penguin. I-note. I'm adding that to an iNote and I'm going to, you know, try to put that out into the world. It's kind of like the secret, only a little different. Yeah, it's like the secret mixed with being a fin dom, which is is really like where our brand is, actually. We often talk about putting things into the universe and just we also just demand money. So, man, that is like perfect. That's perfect. I think that's a great point to start off this episode that has nothing to do with either of those things. Of unsolved mysteries. Definitely. Do we have any updates before we jump into the episode? I have one minor update, which is that we were talking about the Instagram account the other day for Kristen St. Cat, and I said how to spell her name wrong. Oh, yeah. It's Saint spelled out. I think. Yeah. It's not SP. So I just wanted to correct that so you can find it because it is a really great account. She does make really cool art. I think we've talked about that before, too, but we were actually talking about her drawing people's psychically drawing people's future husbands so if you <laughs> if you want to see people's future husbands it's kristen spelled with a y so k-r-y-s-t-a-n and then saint spelled out cat and i really like that someone's future husband is a street shark if that's amazing remembers, if anybody remembers that show or the guy that's saying how bizarre that's someone's future husband oh omc <laughs> yeah there, there was also what are those like wavy arm blow up doll things you know i don't know what those are called wacky waving inflatable tube men yes yeah. an, an inflatable <laughs> tube man but he's a flat earther was someone's future husband wow. <laughs> they're so good they're so good i really want someone to buy that's what i want now mm. 
as being a fin dom. I want someone to buy me a drawing of my future husband from this person and find out who he is. <laughs> and is is he a flat earther that's also an inflatable tube man? Wow, man. <laughs> or that's, a street shark? I need that, to know. That's a weird, yeah, that's a weird existence. Holy God. <laughs> Uh, um, <laughs> I have another update, and I'm oh, sorry, okay. Rob. I'm gonna have to put you through an Animal Crossing update because That's we have funny. big developments in the world oh. of perhaps it's you Animal Crossing. The first, perhaps that, it's Crossing. You mean perhaps it's Crossing? <laughs> our spinoff podcast. Uh, the first is that we did an Animal Crossing meetup, and it was the highlight of my life. It was the best. <laughs> Thank you to listener Gary, who's also a moderator of our Facebook group, who suggested that we do an Animal Crossing meetup. We did. So many people came. Everyone, I told everybody to wear their a mystery-solving outfit, so people came in trench. Their little characters had trench coats and mustaches. Uh-huh. And we met a huge thank you to listener Bruce, who let us come to his five-star island. He set up a little like swap meet on his beach, and we gave we traded Aww. goods. He also Wait, wrapped- how did Bruce get such a nice island? What is Bruce up to? I assume like me playing for many many hours. <laughs> okay, all right, far too many hours of Animal Crossing. Also, just being very creative. He has all kinds of fun areas of his island, so it's nice to like walk around and look at things. He made a little treasure hunt. He wrapped gifts and hid them around his island so everyone could run around and find things. It was delightful. So cute. I feel like maybe there was like 12 to 15 people that came over a period of a couple hours. It was so fun. Everyone really enjoyed it. We will do more, but they're going to be kind of like informally planned probably because there's like a limit of how many people can do it at once. And I don't know. My recommendation, if you want to participate, is to join our Facebook group. There's like a mega thread about Animal Crossing because look a lot of us are into it right now (laughs) including my co-host liz who has just downloaded the game i've convinced her to join us well i saw everybody at the meetup and i wanted to go so that inspired me to finally get it and then i got to visit samantha's island and see her museum and it was extremely relaxing liz came to my island last night we had a little trip to the museum it was delightful what Uh, kind of museum is this it's huge and it has oh, an wow. aquarium. It has a butterfly house. It has whole entire dinosaur skeletons. Oh, yeah, crap. for those that maybe aren't familiar with Animal Crossing, <laughs> Animal Crossing, it there's it's a non-competitive single-player game. You can go like visit your friends and stuff, but it's just there's no like competition aspect. The whole point is just to like build your island how you want, and then catch bugs and fish, and you can find fossils, and you can sell them, but you you can display them, you can keep them, but you can also donate them to a museum on your island that's o- that's run by this owl, and then. <laughs> blathers blathers slowly gets bigger and bigger and they've this it's honestly impressive the designers of this game went all out there's like a butterfly house it looks like a real detail is amazing (laughs) the like little lights on the steps like they have so that you don't trip like why bother to put that in there but it's so good and the the music in there is so relaxing i just like that if you go to a desert desert deserted island and you start like civilization one of the first things you need apparently is a museum (laughs) yes they were like oh you caught five fish time to get the museum curator here and i was like all right that's weird 
makes total sense. I they've recently like added art to it, so you can buy art from this fox that comes to your island. But sometimes he sells fakes, so you, it's like a gamble whether or not you're gonna get a real or a fake. You have to like look at it and spot if it's a fake or not, and then. I don't know. It's Samantha has the girl with the pearl earring in her museum. And then when you go up to it, it gives you like actual facts about the painting. Yes. It blows my mind. Yeah, they amazing. do that with all the if you you can ask Blathers and he'll tell you if you give him a fish, like he'll give you facts about the fish. It's it's so much fun. Awesome. That is amazing. Maybe one day if I find the time, I will I will <laughs> hop on this bandwagon. Look, I mean, you're gonna need a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> I have devoted so many hours to this, but it's soothing i have like hardly anything else to do because i can't go anywhere and being able to visit other people in the game has been extremely fun and this is one of the things that like this podcast has improved slash made my life stranger right like i'm meeting up with random people that are all wearing trench coats in this game to go catch fish in this video game it's so fun this is like uh, the way that you're making it seem is like a 90s epidemic right now but like that's still amazing yes yes so that was my animal crossing update uh thank you for bearing with us that was very important it's exciting honestly it's the most excitement i've had in a long time i mean i should have been watching unsolved mysteries last night but i was too busy visiting samantha's island so i had to watch it this morning (laughs) i uh i overachieved and i watched this episode twice so uh yeah good for you rob someone's (laughs) holding this podcast together it's not the host (laughs) nope if you're following along at home we are on season five episode eight and i just want to mention rob's got our first mystery here but we're seeing like a different trench coat look from stack he's wearing like a black turtleneck and then the trench coat is open oh yeah kind of into it this is like it's like casual stack but also kind of not no it's like casual explorer okay who was elaine's boss on seinfeld at that catalog oh yeah um jay Jay peterman yeah jay peterman it kind of has that vibe it does i i talked to samantha earlier today and i said uh why was this not a fashion trend this didn't blow up at in any other way in any way at all and i'm kind of upset about it and and not only that like at the beginning of this thing the smirk on that man's face i think he thought he was going to send set fashion trends going forward i mean it's not too late we could still adopt this look. You, Rob, you could still adopt this look. Oh, oh, believe me, I, I will. It, it looks a little hot. I don't. To yeah, me right more now, of a fall. More of a it's fall. It's a fall winter look. Yeah. The thought definitely. of wearing a, a turtleneck under a trench coat right now makes me want to die. But this mm-hmm. fall, I'm telling you, we yep. could bring it. We could make it happen. We do need to get some trench coats. Next time we're together, maybe we'll go trench coat shopping. <laughs> Rob, you have the first segment, which Robert Stack. Starts off by saying, some people who who see UFOs are called crazy. Wonder why that is. As he, like, clearly thinks this man is insane. Yeah, judging by the smirk on his face, he he (laughs) does. And I'm like, wow, like, calm your butt down. Did you even talk to Stefan Mikulak there, Stack? Probably not. Look, joke joke on Robert Stack, we know UFOs are real now. Yeah, that's true. We do. He looks like a fool. (laughs) A stylish fool. <laughs> so uh, for this, we'll we'll set the stage here a little bit because I think that if you give 
this uh, incident some context about what was going on, you, you kind of realize that UFOs were just doing a lot of stuff in 1967. But uh, it was a huge flap year. It was their year. Yeah, it was man, their oh, year. Man. If it you were a UFO, 67. Mm-hmm. You know how there was yep. the golden age of skyjacking? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the golden age of just being a UFO. Yeah. Um, and in fact, uh, two of Canada's most prominent cases uh, would come from 1967. Uh, one of them was the Shag Harbor incident, which uh, a number of eyewitnesses saw a strange object crash into Shag Harbor in Nova Scotia. It's one of their biggest cases. They have a UFO festival there like every year they have for the Whoa. past couple years, except for this one, obviously. But uh yeah, uh, the Mothman was in full view of everybody in the Point Pleasant slash Ohio Valley area, just flying everywhere, scaring the shit out of people. Um, yeah, our boy and, Mothman. Yeah, and, you know, Mothman brought some UFO sightings, some men in black encounters, poltergeist stuff, you know, injured cold, was smiling a little too hard everywhere. <sighs> but- <laughs> Don't even say that name. I hate I think, him so much. I think injured cold had a kinder face than most people depict him, but... You know, with that, that name, is... I doubt no. it. Yeah, no, I really doubt it. That's Pure menace. I hate that name so much. I can't even explain why. It like makes my stomach turn. If you if you uh, if you really want to know, uh, according to Woodrow Derenberger's daughter, uh, injured cold died in 2018, 2019. Oh, thank God. There. Good. <laughs> but uh, you know that that is that is what there is. It That's is, a but... sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are also a number of uh, encounters by motorists who either hit UFOs or aliens with their cars or found their cars invaded by ETs. Basically, there was a lot of stuff with cars going down, too. There's one case in Idaho that in which a an alien got out of a UFO, got into a car and drove it into a field. So how do you claim that on your insurance? That yeah, you that's not, a, what UFO? a bad day. Do you have to lie and say it was a deer. Yeah, and they're like, why are there all these metal scrapings? And you're like, metal deer. Just write it down. Yep. Yep. I just just need the money. Just write it down. (laughs) It'll be fine. Just make it up if you have to. (laughs) So the most credible incident to come from 1967, though, is the one that I'm here to talk about today, and that is the Falcon Lake incident. So the witness in this case. His name is Stefan, and they call him Steven because, you know, it's it's American crap, and you've got to project <laughs> your American bullshit on a guy from Poland. I think, okay. I think Robert Sack just doesn't really care. No, <laughs> he probably... not a hard name to say. No. It's just no. Stefan instead of Stephen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, his last name is Mikulak. He is from Poland, and he emigrated to Canada following World War II. And he found work as an industrial mechanic and uh, his, his love and his hobby was in geology and amateur geology. They called him a rock hound on the, the show, but basically he would spend his weekends in the remote Manitoba wilderness on the search for quartz veins as quartz veins would often lead to silver deposits. That's really what he was interested in. He, okay, he Unsolved did... Mysteries was so rude to this man. They could have called yeah. him an amateur geologist. Instead, they called him a rock hunter. <laughs> well, they called him a rock hound. A rock hound. Okay. Yeah. That was... It's just a dude who picks up a rock. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the the weekend of May 20th uh, was like no other for Mikulak. He had driven up the night before rented a hotel and set out at 5.30 the next morning. Okay, 
Stefan, the rocks are still going to be there in the afternoon. He's he's an early bird. This is not hunting. You don't need to go out at five in the morning, a time I refuse to acknowledge. Okay, that's that's fine. But he didn't find anything (laughs) until 9 a.m. So he he had a little time. It took him a while to get out there. He was out there from five to nine and he didn't find anything until nine. Uh, 9 a.m. Look, yeah. being yeah, an he... amateur geologist is hard work, Samantha. We wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I believe that, actually. I'm sure I'm not cut out for it. Yeah. Um, oh, it, it turns out I have to wake up in the morning, so no. Hard yeah, pass. No, yeah, yeah, screw that. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, by 9 a.m. he had stumbled across a quartz vein. He was uh, digging through to see if he, there was any silver underneath it. And, you know, he had lunch around 11 a.m. And then he continued his exploits by 11.30. 45 minutes later, he was startled by some geese that were agitated by something. He wasn't quite sure, but, like, the way that he shook his head at those geese, it was like, <laughs> I am so annoyed that you broke my concentration my note is man shakes head disapprovingly at geese (laughs) what is this reenactment he's like so annoyed at these geese like you're in the forest you're gonna hear you're gonna hear birds yeah he's so cute though this is the most like adorable old man yeah he, he is and he's he's a genuinely good person um so when he when he looked up uh, from his rocks, he could see two strange, what he believed to be cigar-shaped objects hovering high up in the air. And as Mikulak recounts the tale for Unsolved Mysteries, he's like looking up. It's as if he's reliving it that day all over again. Because he's kind of got this worried look in his eyes. Like, I, I, I've got to recount this story again for, for a TV show. But um, one of the objects flies off uh, but the other one lands nearby on a rock field. And this thing is like very silvery. It's a silvery. It's basically a silvery flying saucer. And I must say, given how UFOs are often depicted on the show, because most of the time they're not accurate. This is probably the most accurate one they've ever done. It's OK. He said he said it was like a cigar with a hump. Well, that at first, from that that far away, okay. that's what oh, it looked okay. like. Okay, okay. Yeah. That was my question because I wasn't sure, given how he described it and then how it looked in the reenactment, if what he saw once it landed was the classic UFO shape, or if Unsolved mm-hmm. Mysteries was taking artistic liberty with that. No, for for this one, it's pretty damn accurate to what he actually saw. Um, but don't get me wrong here. The CGI in this is God awful. Like it, it is like the way that this UFO comes down. I'm like, it looks like, you know, whoever did the CGI on this, like literally made it seem like the UFO was on a string. I'm like, you're CGI. You're supposed to not do that. But here it looks well, like it's dangling on a string. Old okay. CGI was real bad. Yeah. And yeah. basically anything would have been better. Just a, right. yeah, literally a model on a string would have looked better. But like you said, though, this is not the worst we've seen on Unsolved Mystery. No, I sure far. isn't. Yeah. Sure isn't. So with uh, nervousness and an unsteady voice, he kind of gets a little not choked up, but he get his voice gets a little unsteady. Uh, Mikulak tells us that despite the fact that the ship did not have any markings. He believed it to be an air, an experimental aircraft, American aircraft of some kind. The first thing he looked for was a NASA logo, which mm-hmm. just made me picture a NASA logo on a UFO, which is hilarious. <laughs> right. Right. I think 
very logical reaction, though. It yeah. shows yeah. he's in like a very like grounded state of mind. He was and like, my, "Oh, this is must be NASA." My yeah. other note was that he assumed it was dumb Americans, which is also yeah. fair and logical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, completely logical. Uh, I think that's what you know kind of lends credence to this case is that he never believes that it's aliens. He believes that it's some kind of American craft and the UFO remained there long enough for him to sketch out the craft in a small notebook. Allegedly the UFO had landed and stayed there for about 30 minutes. So his, uh, his son, Stan Mikulak claimed that his father described its design as seamless as if it had been molded from like some singular like form. So that's something that you hear often with UFO accounts is that they almost seem like they were folded out of formed out of one single piece of metal. It's like, because there's no like maker's marks, there's no seams, there's no rivets, nothing. And that's kind of what this UFO was like. So, um, after an unknown length of time, a door on the craft opened up and he could hear frantic voices inside. Uh, and, the, and the way that he describes them is like <laughs> adorable. So adorable. He's like, <laughs> so great. I love it. Uh, but uh, he. Um, Doesn't he yell out like, hey, Yankee yeah. Oh, boys? yeah. Yeah. Um, the he best could... thing to yell out if you see a yellow phone. Yeah, he couldn't really recognize the accent, but one voice appeared to be higher pitched than the other. Uh, it's unsure what language he thought they were speaking, but uh, Mikulak, he was slowly approaching. And uh, yeah, while he approached the craft, he said, okay, Yankee boys having trouble? Come on out. We'll see what we can do about it, <laughs> which is great. And then he, um, when he got no <laughs> response... That's how, if I see a UFO, I promise that's what I'm going to say. Just I think say, yeah, Yankee response. boy. <laughs> Yankee boy, are you having trouble? Yeah. I help you. Yeah. Um, and then when he got no response, he followed it up in Russian and then German, Italian, French, Ukrainian, and then back to English again. They only tell you a couple different languages on Unsolved Mysteries, but he knows a lot of languages. Um, wow. It's impressive. Yeah. He's he's a very smart man. He, you know, serving in World War II, I think he learned every language he could for any kind of combat situation that he would have been in. So nearing the opening, the light coming from the inside of the ship was so bright, he had to lower the visor on the goggles that he was wearing because uh, he was a welder by trade and uh, he had welder's goggles with him because they do a pretty good job protecting your eyes. You don't... If you're wearing them, you know, it shields you pretty well against rocks and stuff. He was able to peer inside for just a few moments before the door to the craft closed. Like, no admittance for this guy. What a bunch of assholes. Yeah, it makes you go, what did they want? Here he is very politely offering to help in multiple languages. Yeah. Like, what did they just stop there because they're going to get the the silver first? Yeah, right. What do they want? Right. And seemingly this thing looks like it's kind of made of silver. So he could see a cluster of lights flashing on and off in sequence before the door closed. And he uh, put his hand up to the craft to touch it for a second. And it singed his glove. It just like burned it. So he pulled it away really quick. And then the craft lifted up 
kind of swiveled in the air and readjusted and aimed this rectangular grid with holes in it toward Mikalak. And a blast of hot gas then shot out toward him and it immediately caught his shirt on fire. These aliens are rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would, he's been so welcoming and this is how they treat him. Right. Bad right. manners. You, you fucking aliens just farting on people with their <laughs> UFOs. It's not right. So he described it as having a sulfur smell, yes. which is like this thing literally farted on him. Yeah, literally, quite literally. It fucking farted on him like a <laughs> bunch disgusting. of assholes. And rude. Yeah, rude. It traveled all that way. And for what? To fart on this poor rock hound. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, was it having some kind of mechanical issue or or what? Because I'm wondering if it was waiting for Mikalak to like run off or something like that in order to do whatever it was going to do. But uh, maybe it didn't like being called Yankee Boys. Maybe it did not like being called Yankee Boy in, mm-hmm. you know, whatever mm-hmm. language. Uh, but Mikalak was now in this really intense pain. He tore off his shirt and his undershirt and he just threw it to the ground. And there was... Which is burning in the reenactment, which is amazing. Yeah, there was a putrid smell in the air, an electrical burning mixed with sulfur. Uh, Ed Barker on the show, who is called a producer. I I don't know why. Uh, Ed Barker, he's a museum curator. uh, Mm. They call him a producer? Yeah, his title is producer, so I... That's what a producer is what Unsolved Mysteries would call, like, someone who makes porn, because they, like, couldn't say that on TV. Right, right, Like, that's what you would call, who you would call a producer. (laughs) Not a museum curator. You could just call him a museum curator. No, it's too scandalous, Samantha. It's better the public not know those museums are curated. Yeah, by porn. Yeah, it's it's (laughs) curated porn. Um, I mean, is it? Mm. <laughs> is it not can we prove that i mean prove it's not i don't know unsolved mysteries might yeah. know something we don't, we don't know right. about ed my note about ed is that he uh could be most valuable eyebrow yeah strong eyebrow game he's got insta insta eyebrows oh yeah <laughs> he has he has two mustaches above his eyeballs i say he wins yeah i don't have a mustache pick so i have no, a I mustache don't. later but his eyebrows could be. He can ride. win for most valuable double mustache that happens to be eyebrows. Most valuable double uh, double mustache that happens to be eyebrows is not <laughs> a great hashtag, but maybe we can think about that. Like I kind of halfway expected him to pick up like a like a two by four and a hammer and just like go he to town. He does have yeah. He's he's gonna fix a house. Like yeah, that day. definitely. Um, he comes on screen to tell us that Mikalak started to vomit as he fled the area, and that would be something very common uh, going forward. Uh, his vision was hazy, but when he finally made it back to his pack, the compass he was using to lead him toward the road started to spin uncontrollably, and he wasn't sure why. Nobody was really... because these aliens are dicks, that's why. Alien farts, they fucked everything up. Um... But now completely disoriented. And I, I just want to say the actor that played Stefan Mikolak has clearly never stumbled a day in his life. <laughs> it was a new skill and, you know, he tried it out. He wasn't a natural. I appreciate the languages that he was like speaking because he seemed pretty confident there. Not confident in the stumbling down a mountain game, but, you know, we'll let that pass here for a moment. Look, if I had to 
pretend to stumble down a mountain, it would look like sketch comedy. It would yeah. be so bad. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I'm also not a professional actor, so I mean, there's that. <laughs> so Mikulak, he'd been using the compass to kind of just like point him in the direction of the road. And since it failed, he did his best to uh, orient himself that way. And it took him a little, little while, but um, Unsolved Mysteries doesn't show this. He would emerge on the road probably about an hour later and he flags down this passing car. The first one he had seen that just, it just drove right past him, but then it turned around. The man identified himself as a Royal Canadian mounted police officer. And Mikulak told the man his story. And when he did, the man responded by saying, and I quote, sorry, but I have other duties to perform. And then he drove off. I gotta go. Wow, yeah. that's rude too. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a bad day. Uh, yeah. Stefan. Uh, like I, I now have. I since I uh, covered this case on my podcast, I have had severe distrust of the RCMPs. Um, wow. Yeah. Harsh, harsh yeah. but fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it took him like a couple hours to actually get back to town. He was a few miles out, um, but he was wondering if he was radioactive. So he was doing his best to kind of avoid people, but would ultimately take a bus back to Winnipeg where he lived. So doctors were baffled by his condition. He had clearly suffered some kind of burn um, and it appeared on his abdomen in a grid-like shape, and it, it was the shape of the exhaust vent that he had sketched out in his book. Um, he was not kept in the hospital and instead was released. His symptoms worsened over time. He had bouts of nausea, and there was a sulfur-like smell that lingered with him for weeks at a time. Um, oh, yeah, before I forget, uh, when Mikulak arrived back in Winnipeg, he had phoned ahead to his wife to tell her that something had happened to have, you know, someone there for him at the bus station to take him to the hospital. It was this 10 year old son, Stan, that took him there. So <laughs> I had this image in my head. I'm like, OK, what was the public transit situation like? Because if not, is Stan driving him to the goddamn hospital? This 10 year old drove him to the hospital. Yeah, the guy that appears on, a, on this episode took him to the hospital oh yeah as yeah. a 10 year old <laughs> yes as a 10 year old yeah we're we're never we're never sure if he honestly that there, sounds but... like something that would happen in america today it'd be like look i can't call an ambulance it's gonna cost me ten thousand dollars where's my 10 year old <laughs> <laughs> just put me in the back of a wagon and drag me there <laughs> get me a goddamn big ass radio flyer let's do this shit so yeah, his symptoms persisted for even months. He would lay in bed for days in a stretch at times. Uh, UFO researcher Chris Rakowski, who is one of Canada's preeminent UFO investigators and has been looking into the subject for decades, appears on screen and he tells us that his, his burn was actually more similar to a chemical burn and not like a burn from, say, like an open flame source. So sure. he was tested for radiation exposure, but tested negative. Six weeks after the encounter, Mikulak would return to the site with a friend named Gary, not Bob, which, you know, he yells out to Bob in the show, but his friend's name was Gary. And where the but craft had landed. He's disoriented, all right? Yeah. Wait, he's disoriented coming back? 
He's so disoriented from his experience. He doesn't even know his friend's name anymore. God it's very damn it. Dead. God damn it. Well, that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, So where the craft had landed on this field of rocks, there was a large circular burn mark just singed into the rock. There were a number of trees and branches nearby that looked to have sustained damage from some kind of heat source as well. A collective of Canadian Air Force members and scientists descended on the site, taking measurements, soil samples, and testing for radiation. The Geiger counters that uh, one of the guys carried registered really high levels of radiation within that burnt patch. And it was later determined uh, by one of, uh, I forget the exact department within Canada, but there was a vein of radium running underneath where that site was. So still, fuck that. Um, The most baffling aspect of this case were the burns that Mikulak had suffered when the UFO farted on him. So the, the burns would heal and mysteriously reappear once every three weeks or so along with the nausea and the headaches. This is just cruel. Yeah, it, it is. And like, there are cases where uh, people have marks like that. Um, I'll, I'll mention one, uh, one of them at the end. But uh, I even... have so many questions about how the doctor came to this conclusion that he didn't have radiation sickness when he seemed to have all the symptoms of right. it. And there was radiation found where he, where he experienced this event. I, I just think... I don't understand how they were like, Oh no, it's a chemical burn. Where did the chemical come from? What is their explanation for that? It seems like clearly radiation. I think right? when they do a radiation test, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I don't know if it's like a blood test or something like that. And like, I think it's in your system. So like, um, I was trying, uh, my friend Nate did uh, an episode uh, on his podcast called the conspirators about the, um, they were called the radium girls. They basically painted like luminous, luminous styles and clock factories. Like they literally had like radium in their bodies. So I think when they test for it, they actually, there are faint, traces of it that they could pick up maybe in your blood or or other kind of stuff yeah but the difference in that is that they were exposed to small doses over time whereas he would have gotten an acute dose of radiation and i'm not a doctor so i don't know how the test would differ or if right or if you would you know i assume he would have to be irradiated in some way so maybe they didn't find evidence of that but it just doesn't make any sense to me right that they would come to this chemical burn conclusion when there were no chemicals there but there was a radiation there and it seemed like you know he had the vomiting he had you know whatever yeah. it seems he like he a burn yeah radiation sickness and i just don't understand how they were like no it wasn't radiation yeah yeah that's exactly. baffling to uh, me. it is uh i think a lot of his symptoms aren't are also not indicative of radiation poisoning um, I don't think that burn is indicative of radiation. Well, it was a weird a pattern, right? It was yeah. weird. Like, that it's wouldn't have come pattern. from a vein of radium in the ground. Like, no. it was, like, that sort of concentrated, sort of non-organic pattern on his stomach. It would, like, could not... That I feel like that couldn't have come from a natural source. Right. Right. Um, so, even more mysteriously, uh, Mikulak returned to the landing site a year after his encounter and found a number of high-grade silver fragments in the ground 
Uh, they were pure silver coated with radium and uranium. And uh, we're told that this type of silver is not easy to come by. And in one shot, Ed Barker, the producer, is uh, holding them in his hands. Yes, Ed Barker is holding radioactive metal and seems to be happy about it. He tells us that it's no longer radioactive, but I'm not buying it. Skeptics, however, have um, they've always kind of discounted this aspect of the case. Um, And in UFO research, it's what we call the repeater problem. So the idea that people have additional UFO encounters or find additional evidence are generally generally labeled as not trustworthy, uh, which I think is bullshit. But it's I, in the exact same spot, though. It's could right. have just been something they missed the first time. Maybe that that's that's a possibility because I mean, like when they were out there, like the area was highly radioactive, uh, allegedly. So like. I don't know how much further testing they did after they determined it was all right to go out there, but it would kind of, it could make sense that it was there. These men are out there with a Geiger counter going towards the radioactive area and like (laughs) radioactive metal and then apparently keeping it as a souvenir. (laughs) I wrote this, I wrote the same thing in my notes that he is holding radioactive metal in his bare hands. Yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly how radiation works when it comes to metal, if you can, like, get it all off, but I don't know that I would take that chance. But also, Ed is, Ed is rude. He's like, I look, I'm not saying Stefan planted it, but I'm saying I think that this was left because it's, like, basically he's saying that it was left there as, like, oh, here's proof. Like, someone was faking right. it. And I'm like, okay, I don't, right. that's rude. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Question, Rob. Mm-hmm. Rob, yep. did you put this metal there? Oh, man. I traveled back in time, and <laughs> holy shit, you found me out. I went to Manitoba. I knew it! I, I found the it! spot. I found the spot. You you couldn't miss it from the air because there was a huge-ass ring in that ground, and I just, like, fucking dug that shit up, and I put it in there. I think it's a really weird idea to think that someone likes Stefan so much that he would make his story more realistic by planting this there and hoping he would find it. Yeah, that's the weird thing is like, how would we know that, how would anybody know that he would go back out there looking for anything? I don't think anybody had any idea. Maybe, you know, he was really gung-ho about it and stuff like that, but... And how does the average person irradiate something? (laughs) Like, it's not like... Also, this metal is like some weird alloy. What? Um, One of the uh, wilder theories that uh, I think Chris Rakowski had interviewed a scientist at one point, and he claimed that his theory was that Mikulak had gotten two pieces of uranium and was out in the Manitoba wilderness banging them what? together. I Where did you not. get uranium? Yeah. <laughs> Where is this man? <laughs> this man this isn't what? back to the future. You don't go to the corner store and get uranium in 1985. It doesn't happen. It didn't happen wow. in 1967. Oh. It's not happening now. Why would he do that? I don't know. I like that's the thing. What's the motive? It would be one thing if they were subject, you know, suggesting that he was involved in like subversive activities, like he was like some communist like spy or something like that. Maybe, but not really. I don't think so because if you're if you're trying to pull off anything like that why would you be out in the wilderness banging two pieces of uranium together it makes no fucking sense 
But like that's the problem with this case. So he is... banged two pieces of uranium together until he got a polka dotted burn which on his stomach. Can you even survive? Right, which makes no sense. Is that even? Can you even survive banging uranium together? Is that, <laughs> is that a thing? You would, and like, let's be honest. You would. They would find radiation on you, like. Samantha, no I way think there's need. only way to, one way to find out. We need to go get two pieces of uranium, <laughs> go into the wilderness, and bang them together in the interest of science. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to all the vomiting, though. Rob, I'm not sure you should get abducted. I'm, this sounds like a bad time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off on it. I don't know what alien social distancing is like, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to be good about that. <laughs> Yeah, and I think they get a little yeah, too that's close. nice. That's nice. Yeah, I, I think I'm yeah. going to rescind my advice. I think getting abducted at this point is probably not a good idea. I didn't realize aliens were so rude. They can be. They totally can be. And in this case, this case they were. But yeah, uh, porn, porn producer slash knockoff Bob Vila Ed Barker believes that <laughs> someone planted the silver to lend credence to the no encounter. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, in other words, he sees a bad moon rising or some shit. Uh, but like, if you talk to people that have looked into this case, they don't think that Michalakis has planted it himself. Nobody does. But, um, there are a number of cases in UFO history where people have suffered negative health effects after coming into contact with a UFO. And I mean, you, you have all covered a few of those cases on here. You covered the- the uh, Betty Cash, Vicky Landrum incident and the Rendlesham Forest incident. And both those two incidents occurred at around the same time. They occurred within days of each other. So there are a great many deal more incidents like that. Um, I actually covered a case on Our Strange Skies. It's like episode 16. It's the curious case of this of Dr. X, this uh, mysterious doctor in France ends up having this UFO sighting. He witnesses it from his like um, living room windows. And these two UFOs are casting beams of light in this French Valley. And they basically come toward this doctor in his house. It this These two UFOs merge into one. And they aim this beam of light at him. Now, this doctor had had like, a lot of health problems. He had been involved in... Um, there was like a civil war that he was involved in after World War Two, and he had suffered like uh, injuries to his legs. He had fallen off a ladder like days before this incident. And he had like he, he basically had two hematomas in his leg. So he ends up having this encounter with this UFO and it heals his legs. So some UFOs heal. The others are dick bags that cause a lifetime of injuries to um, some of these people. So like Stefan Mikulak, those burns would reappear for, I think pretty much the rest of his life. His burns that he referred to as his buttons. Yeah. Yeah. That he referred to as buttons. They would, <laughs> they would disappear. So yeah. He, he is, he is really like, he's the kind of like old man that you just want to cuddle for hours. Uh, yeah. I just wish we could go eat pierogies with him. Yeah. He, he uh, rest in peace. Stefan Mikulak, you, you, you wonderful man. Um, for anybody that's interested in learning more about this case, because there's a lot of information out there, uh, Stan Mikulak, who appeared in the show, and UFO researcher Chris Rakowski actually came out with a book uh, a couple of years ago. It's called When They Appeared, 
it's a really good source and uh, it's it's a really good read. It includes a pamphlet that Stefan Mikulak wrote uh, like two years after the incident and didn't make any money off of. He actually lost money by printing it because he first printed it in Polish and then he translated it to English. But uh, it's it's a really good book. You should all check it out for awesome. sure. How can people find the episode of your podcast where you talked about this if they are interested? Yeah, you can um, can pretty much find us on any single podcasting app. Or you can head on over to OurStrangeGuys.com. It's episode 17, The Falcon Lake Incident. And I did that with my buddies, Brian and Angelo, of the Double Density Podcast. And it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty fun take on, the, on this incident because there's just a lot of wacky stuff uh, involved with it. But it, it truly is probably one of the most genuine UFO cases of all time. All right, five listeners, that's what it's like when your podcaster actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Sorry to tease you like that. It probably won't happen very much or ever again. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. That was very informative and helpful. I try. I definitely try. And now we won't have gotten all the information wrong, so that's a big point. I really appreciated having a UFO segment on the show. I feel like I've gotten a little fatigued with true crime, and so I appreciated getting this this episode of unsolved mysteries of course we got robert stack smirkin you know he's not taking this seriously i like i like this episode. uh yeah it was good i really liked it yeah okay samantha you are up next yes so this is an unexplained death and this is a death that took place at a women's prison in 1987 so terry lucas was an inmate at frontera women's prison and she died under mysterious circumstances the day before she died she told a prison guard betty thompson that she knew the fate of another prison guard whose name was jesslyn rich who had vanished in 1984 so this segment interviews betty thompson who i believe I believe at the time she was filming Unsolved Mysteries was no longer working for the prison, but I'm not positive about that. But she was the prison guard that Terry Lucas confided in. Um, Jesslyn was another prison guard that worked at the same prison, and she had disappeared, like I said, in 1984. She was a divorced mother of two, and she was last seen at a country western bar with friends on November 11th, 1984. This reenactment is so ominous yeah it it's is. really scary it's mm-hmm. scary but i have to say the fashion makes oh it kind of hard to take yeah. scary it's kind of scary in a, a different way the fashion there's this shot of her like she gets up to go to the bathroom and she goes in the bathroom and that's the last time her friend sees her but then she sees this guy like walk in that direction and you kind of like see her shadow go out of the frame and then this guy just like walk that way too Oh, it's ominous. I, I, after seeing this, I wanted to get, get my, I want to get my ass to like, um, Nashville or something, get my ass to a honky tonk and just really go to town in one of those. Yeah. This, this country Western bar is a whole look. Uh, although I don't, based on this, I feel like I would avoid them. I don't, (laughs) they seem like dangerous Mm -hmm. places, but it's not a ringing endorsement. Uh, so Jesslyn's friend, Marilyn, claimed that she, uh, that Jesslyn had looked at the door and suddenly was very afraid. They were sort of at this honky tonk. They were having a good time. And then all of a sudden, like, she could feel Jesslyn's tone just completely change. And she looked past her at the door. Uh, Suddenly, 
clearly terrified. Um, quickly, she excused herself to go to the bathroom. And at this point, like Liz said, Marilyn saw a man walk behind her as she went to the bathroom. And then this was the last time that anyone ever saw Jeslyn. I hate it. Her family no, believed that she may bullshit. have been kidnapped and murdered because they believe that she would have contacted her family. She had two young children that she was the sole carer for. She was also going to night school and and in criminal justice and had been like per- actively pursuing her career. She had like straight A's in night school. She had a day job. There's no. I hate this idea that people will just like leave their life for no reason. Like, it seemed like she liked her life and was happy with it. Why would she just up and leave? Well, and this is where we get into what may or may not be a conspiracy to cover up what actually happened to Jeslyn. Because her family was like, would someone please look into this? Like, clearly, she's not going to leave her two young children. She has an established life. And the police are saying that she probably just ran off with someone. Right. And, and like, that feeds into, like, how deep does this corruption go? Does it go all the way up to, like, law enforcement? Because you kind of have to think so if, like, they're saying they're not going to investigate this at all. And, you know, her brother's rifling through a trash and, like, comes upon... Uh, definite corruption yes yeah definitely um so jeslyn's brother gary basically the family was like okay no one's looking into this so they're basically investigating themselves gary goes through her house and basically finds evidence that she knew about illegal activities and that she had been receiving threats from other guards at the women's prison and they believe that this is why that she was probably murdered as a result of what she knew. Um, one clue was a torn up note that she had written to a co-worker. Um, she wrote that another guard stated that, quote, anyone interfering with my drug activities will be taken care of. Mm-hmm. I think we know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So they find evidence that she's murdered. No one finds evidence that she just ran off, but the police are still like, no, she probably just... And that's what Unsolved Mysteries made it seem like. Um, right. It was the it's the laziest oh, goddamn man. investigating I have ever seen. Like investigators, don't be lazy like this. Don't be lazy. Don't don't cover up corruption, you fuck. Well, and that's what it seems like beyond you know, it seems like there's probably an maybe not an active cover up, but like an inability like an in, unwillingness for them to even do anything because at, yeah. because yeah. the case essentially according to the investigators went cold um and then on th- three years after she vanished in november of 1987 terry came forward and told betty thompson that she had been threatened by guards to keep quiet about what she knew and there is kind of a frightening reenactment honestly of the inside mm-hmm. of this yeah. woman's prison and a male guard like trying to get in to Terry's cell. She was in, they called it the infirmary. Like she was in the, an area of the prison for, I assume prisoners who are sick and kind of by herself in her own cell. And this male guard is trying to get into her cell and she's crying. And Betty Thompson, who's interviewed for the show says that she ran over there. And Betty is like, look, normally we have like the prison, prison guards have each other's back, whatever. But this guy like was clearly upsetting Terry. And also there's like protocol. You can't just go into someone's cell and like yell at them. Like clearly there's some sort of like way, like a procedure you're supposed to like interact with the inmates. And he is like clearly, 
clearly upsetting her. Also, she's in this area of the prison for prisoners who are unwell. And so she said that Betty says she got in between Terry and the guard and said, you are not going into the cell. Well, there's something scary about a man like insisting to go into right. this space where this woman like can't defend herself at all. And I think it shows that Betty did actually like care about her. Yeah. Cared what happened yes. to her. I think I think the, the the thing about it too is like she made this guard seem like he he's almost like mysterious in a way, because it's just like it seemed like she didn't know him all that well. So like yeah, it good on her. It was like not part of his rounds or right. whatever. Right? right. Like he normally wouldn't have been in that area. Right. Um, so she thought something suspicious was happening and good for her for actually like standing up to him. Yeah, like seriously, good on fucking Betty for like standing her ground as best she could the whole time. Because fuck, man, things yeah. are gonna go kind of yeah. south. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, I think Betty clearly displays some bravery. Like, it's not easy. Like, we'll see like it later. Like, what she's up against, and I, you know, I don't know that a lot of people would have acted the same way that she did. Um, yeah. But basically, yeah. so after this incident, Terry told Thompson that she had been threatened by guards to keep quiet. Um, Terry then told her that she knew what happened to Jeslyn. Terry, uh, unfortunately turned up dead the next day. So Betty, uh, Betty said that she was going on her, like her typical rounds and she noticed that Terry wasn't getting out of her bed, that her, her breakfast had been untouched, whatever. She goes in there and she chokes up as she describes finding that Terry is dead. Yeah. Mm. She's like emotional. She's emotional throughout this whole episode. So like you can tell it's like affected her a lot. Yeah, yeah it's horrible. Yeah, finding a de- I mean, it's terrible. So um disturbingly, her body had been ignored and left in the cell for 3 days by the time that Be- Betty Johnson Thompson had found it. Uh and Thompson told the nurses about Terry's death and an investigation revealed that she had been brutally beaten and suffocated. In addition, blades Mm -hmm. of grass were found in her hair, which makes no sense because she shouldn't have been outside. She was in the prison infirmary. Uh, The medical examiner immediately ruled that her death was a homicide. In fact, uh, Thompson says that she talked to the medical examiner and he said, who killed this? Like who killed this woman? Like she's in prison. Like, she you should know who she's been with like clearly this was homicide yeah it's, it's yeah. obvious however uh thompson says that after he met with high ranking prison officials her death was changed to be uh, complications due to diabetes Dude. so not uh, here's a here's a fun here's a fun little aside here the uh the coroner in this episode he played a um he played a uh dermatologist on scrubs <laughs> him he did yeah. look familiar yeah is that the guy that passed away recently like very recently no that's um that's that was sam- a lawyer yeah that's sam okay. lloyd okay. yeah that's so yeah i was like that guy is so familiar he has to be from scrubs that's yep. really funny Yep. So because okay. Thompson was the f- one to have discovered Terry's body, there was like a lot of paperwork associated with it. And she says that she was subjected to intimidation and essentially an interrogation sick- that lasted six hours in which prison officials mm. tr- uh, tried to force her to basically say, like, ch- change her story, to lie, to lie, yeah. to say that, you know, 
the body looks differently, that this is why she died. Um, and she refused. She said she wasn't going to do that. But after, uh, I mean, it's six. She's in a prison and they're telling her she cannot leave. Also, that scene is like, very uncomfortable to see her sitting at that table, all those guards standing around Ooh, their her, arms crossed. almost in like a circle. Yeah. yeah. Like, like we're going to fucking beat the shit out of you right now. If you do not change your goddamn statement. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't like any of no, this. And what Thompson said that she was told eventually was that, listen, the same thing that happened to Jeslyn could happen to you. And at that point she was like, well, fuck. And she agreed to sign the doctored report which was typed up for her however at the bottom of the report she wrote with her in her handwriting that she signed this under duress and that is not true which was like (laughs) (laughs) i love this yeah yeah. Well, she was like, fine. I mean, I don't want to get disappeared. I'll sign it. And then it's like, by the way, this is all lies. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah, suck so, it, bitch! At that point, yeah. the prison officials were like, well, fuck you. We can't take this. So they, according to Thompson, <laughs> shredded the one that she signed, retyped it, and forged her signature. I mean, what I'm assuming happened is she was like, yeah, yeah, I'll sign it. So she signs it. She writes the thing on there. Maybe they don't notice. And she was like, "Uh, so I can go now. So she like, you know, bolts out of there and then they pick it up and they're like, wait a minute. We can't use this one that says signed under duress on it. So honestly, it's amazing. Uh, Yeah, Betty is my hero. So following this, she continued to receive threats. She would receive threatening phone calls in her office in the prison. She also would receive like veiled threats from other prison officials in person. They would be like, I think one instance she was... I forget the exact wording, but basically she saw another, like a higher ranking prison official just like in the lunchroom or whatever. And she was like, hey, has anyone recently told you that like you might get killed? And she was like, oh, at that point, I knew that like everybody around me was in on it. (laughs) Just just casual lunch (laughs) conversation. So has anyone ever told you that you might just end up dead and nobody would know who did it? (laughs) Right. Like the conversation went. I'm like, like huh. I'm trying to put myself in this situation and wondering if I wouldn't laugh my ass off or if I'd just be scared as fuck because I'm like, <laughs> I'd just be like, really? That's the best way that you can fucking say On that? the face of it, it's I hilarious. Like, but, at the, but in Thompson's shoes, she's like, fuck, they really killed Jeslyn. Yeah. Like, they're really going to fucking right. kill me. They killed Terry. Like, I am. Yeah, she even, time to get oh, a new job. Seriously. And then after, sim- after seven months of routine threats thompson was shot at from a moving car in front of her home in june 1988 immediately she immediately called the police uh they came to her home to take a report and then afterwards she got a phone call that said next time we won't miss she seemed impressed that the police like even took her report and wrote it down because the level of corruption was so high that when she called this in and then got that phone call, she was like, and the officer saw that I was scared and he actually wrote that down. Like her standards (laughs) at this point are so low that anyone's going to help her. It's horrible. And so this became a scandal that was covered in several front page articles in the Orange County Register over insider accounts of drug dealing and corruption within the women's prison. Betty Thompson and five other guards testified in a state Senate hearing over the alleged offenses. When Unsolved Mysteries uh, was taping their segment, prison officials 
declined to comment, obviously. A spokesman for the California Department. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a surprise. <laughs> we would not like to comment on the corruption that has been going on in our facility. Sorry. This is like maybe one of my favorite moments of Unsolved Mysteries is Robert Stack quoting the official that they like gave a can statement or whatever the california department of officials we're not saying that something didn't happen at the prison but there's no evidence and like stack stack puts so much snark on that end quote i loved it and i was like i almost wanted to cheer i'm like yes (laughs) like this is i can't believe it like this is almost like them seeing like well fuck you yeah it was going on but we don't give a shit like yeah yeah prove it uh jesseline rich at the time of this taping remains missing and terry lucas's death remains i mean unsolved although the prison claims that it was diabetes uh i'm gonna i'm just looking at unsolved mysteries wiki and i'm gonna see if there's any like updates i don't think there is it says that it remains unsolved remains believed to be jesseline's were located and identified however more recently her daughter has claimed that dna testing determined that those remains were not those of jesseline um terry and jesseline's cases both remain it doesn't seem like there's been any developments on these unfortunately and i'm sure it it doesn't seem like anyone is interested in looking into terry's death honestly yeah that's the problem Um, yeah so this one was i mean it's a rough story but it was interesting i mean it's a very good segment it's a it's a yeah i mean it's a terrible tragedy but i think it's very well covered on this yeah, and I'm glad this corruption got exposed because fuck all this bullshit. Oh, yeah, God. And this, honestly, Betty Thompson is like the hero of... Liz isn't going to salute the flag, yeah, but we will best. salute Betty Thompson. We will salute I'm Betty saluting, Thompson I'm all day. saluting Betty right now. <laughs> yep. Okay, so now we get an update on Kathy Loving, which we have already talked about her case. She was the supposed delinquent who was trying to get away from her abusive father and then ended up sent to like some school for wayward girls. And it was the person taking her to the place that was the only person that believed her story because her dad was a cop. If you remember that case, we already talked about it, but I don't think we saw this reunion before. No, I don't think so either. I, because like, I remember watching um, that, that episode that that story appeared on and it wasn't in there. They were still looking for him at the time. I think the reunion is fucking adorable. It's like the best reunion I've ever seen. She like makes this banner that's like Fred is my hero. hero. Yeah. And she makes him a her and her friends make him a dinner of all his favorite <laughs> foods. And then they have this like feast together. And oh she's my like, God, yeah. She's like the first thing she tells him is that she loves him. Oh my I God. Loved it. It's so sweet. And like the way that Fred says it, he's like, I, I wanted to come here because I wanted to thank her because, you know, it, it, it made me feel something and it made me feel like something that I did in life helped somebody. So it's like, God damn it. I wanted to hug all of those people. I know they're so sweet. Well, I feel like he really put his job and yeah, you know, who knows what else on the line standing up for her in this cover up, And I, I it clearly changed the course of her, her life. And it was so nice that she got to thank him and they had this dinner. I don't know. It was just the cutest. Mm. And that food looked really yes, good. Yeah. I really wanted to try some of it. She was like, I want to see your face when you eat this mac and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) That's love. I was like, oh, (laughs) I want it. Okay, so we we don't usually, I don't usually like it when they throw in these updates of cases we've already covered. But this one, for some reason, has other information. So that was okay. All right. There's one last one. It is a missing person from Houma, Louisiana. 
which Robert Stack describes as in the heart of Cajun country, steeped in the romance of backwater bayous and sweeping magnolias, which is like the way it's like a romance novel. All set to this like old West kind of melody going on. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little odd. But this is the case of A.J. Brew, who lived in Homa, I think his whole life. He had three daughters and he had worked for the same clothing store for 30 years. So everybody in town knew him. He was a very recognizable figure. He was known for being kind of a dapper dresser because he worked in this clothing store he was like sharp and he had in the past struggled with alcoholism but by 1991 he had been which is when this takes place he had been sober for eight years he was often at the easy does it club (laughs) which which is the most adorable name for a support group i've ever heard which was this group for alcoholics that met in a warehouse to like support each other in sobriety so sort of like aa but I don't know, like their own thing, I guess. Um, And he was there all the time. He was very serious about it. And he was always trying to help other people with their sobriety. So on Wednesday, August 28th, 1991, AJ left the club at 8.30 p.m. Half an hour later, he's seen stopping by a convenience store to buy milk. At that time, he told the cashier he was on his way home where he lived with one of his daughters, but he never arrived home. I think the next day or maybe a couple days later, his car is found abandoned by a park. The reenactment of his daughters on a fucking mission, pulling up in their video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, do not get in these ladies' way because they will run you over. Yeah. Don't fuck with these women. Full on, full contact, clothesline, you're going down. So I think someone alerted them that their dad's car was at the park. So they go to see it and then they call the police and the police come over. And one of the daughters is like insisting, like, open up the trunk. I'm worried my dad is dead and in the trunk. Well, he wasn't dead and in the trunk. But the daughters still think that it's foul play because why would he just leave his car there for everyone to find? And also his wallet and his checkbook had been tucked under the front seat of the car. So once again, except for that one dude in Canada, most people do not just ditch everything to go start a new life. And also, how do you do that without a wallet? Or a Are car? you talking about the guy who like stole a paperclip from his job and then was like, fuck, I gotta get out of the country? <laughs> It's frustrating because I always want to say, oh, no one does that. But that one guy did. So, so I, I'm just going to I'm just going to warn you, because uh, when I, I did some other unsolved mystery stuff with some other people last Halloween, there is another legitimate amnesia no! case coming up. Yeah, it's oh, coming okay. up legitimate two seasons. Amnesia. It's coming up two seasons from now or no next season it's next season legitimate amnesia is is not nearly as frustrating as a guy who needed to like run from the law except the statute of limitations right had way run out right and he just for started stealing a, a new life. clip yeah for, yeah Jesus for some Christ. minor cry okay so um so the the daughters were insisting it was foul play the police were saying there's no evidence of foul play for us to investigate but three witnesses came forward to say that they had seen AJ after he had disappeared. One was local resident Kenneth Pilgrim, who says he saw him outside in a convenience store the day after he disappeared. And that what he remembers being unique about was that he was wearing kind of like sloppy clothes. And that this guy had known him like most of his life and known him to be like a very sharp dresser. Mm. So he sees him standing outside on the payphone wearing like pants that don't fit him and like a flannel shirt. And he says hi to him, but but AJ doesn't really say anything. And he just thought it was weird, but he didn't know at the time he was missing. 
Because he was like, if I had known he was missing, he would have been found. But um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that is that's just an odd statement to make. But I'm like, hell yeah, buddy. I know you would have done something. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, I knew him, you know, since I was seven years old. I obviously recognized him. Things did seem a little out of sorts, but I didn't think too much of it until later he found out that he was missing. He also noticed that there was three men waiting for him in a small compact car, which relates to this other eyewitness who saw him in a small compact car driving down the road with three other dudes. This was about eight miles outside of town. And this guy was getting the mail, at least in the reenactment, and waves at AJ. But listener, AJ did not wave back. And that was not like AJ because he knew everyone and he was nice to everyone. God damn it. He would wave to everyone. I, I liked how at the beginning of, of this segment, uh, I think it was like Robert Stack that said like, AJ was a guy that you could depend on. Yeah. People described him as dude, he had had these, but I don't even know if he really, he had had, I think a DUI or something previously yeah. because of his, his um, alcoholism. But since getting sober and getting his life together, like people really changed their opinion of him and thought of him as this like upstanding character in the community and this very like trustworthy guy who would definitely I wave think it's at you. Funny oh yeah, that this is like clearly a small town where like everyone knows everybody, and if you <laughs> don't wave back, that's like something people will remember and be like <laughs> notable, right? Like, oh yeah, I remember <laughs> last Tuesday when Age didn't wave back at me. <laughs> He knows the date. He knows the date he saw AJ in a car just driving yeah. by. But he's like, well, like, he didn't wave. Here's an interesting because, like, uh, this kind of just like blew my mind. Now that I'm thinking of it, I'm actually I'm in the middle of writing this true crime episode that I've been like wanting to cover because I don't usually do true crime. And one of the guys that were involved in the case literally would get upset if he waved at someone and they didn't wave back. He would be upset See? for days. Uh, wow yeah that's taking like minnesota nice to a whole other level (laughs) (laughs) a level of vengeance okay so two weeks after this the police get a handwritten note at the police station which sounds like it was written like for a telegram i don't understand why the sentences (laughs) are like this but it says aj brew was drunk at the time self-inflicted gunshot wound stomach drawstring sack Put in by a friend, rolled over steep grassy bayou bank near dam. And then it was signed Helene. Um no. so that's super weird. <laughs> right. Very confusing. But the police didn't follow up on that. They sort of figured out where this area would be by the dam and they dredged it on three occasions, but nothing was found. So well, like four- I, I like I like how in the uh the reenactment the guy the detective is staring at that thing that piece that little note card so intently like oh like <gasps> who's oh Helene? why does she know so much yes. and why would someone put someone in a drawstring sack after they shot themselves in the stomach which also right. sounds like a slow horrible it's the way to slowest die. fucking death that you can have like it's so the most AJ's like one. slowly dying and he's like i'm not gonna take you to a hospital what i am gonna do is put you in a drawstring sack and roll you into the bayou yeah exactly holy fuck All right. i also it reminded okay. me that uh D- detective troy was my mvm because his mustache had like frosted mm-hmm. tips it did. Oh, Holy yeah. fuck, it did. Yeah. I mean, this is clearly just like going gray, but it looks like he like dipped the ends in some like white paint. Okay, I would call that mustache the Ricky Martin in honor of his previously frosted tip hair. 
that he uh, sported for some time. Yeah, that guy seemed like he was living La Vida Loca. Yeah. <laughs> it all adds up. Okay, so four weeks after AJ disappeared, this is one of the strangest reenactments I have seen oh, on Unsolved yes. Mysteries. A woman named Christy Bardot is sitting on her porch in front of her home in Lockport, Louisiana, which is about 30 miles away. She sees a van pass by on the street a couple times, eventually stop, and a very nervous, disheveled-looking man gets out, walks up to her, and asks if she wants to buy some frozen, frozen fish. fish. <laughs> Which apparently is just, yeah, in a fucking Ziploc bag. Like, and it didn't, even, it didn't even look that frozen in the reenactment. No, no, it looked fresh. Fresh as You were fuck. getting salmonella like, from that fish. <laughs> yes. This reminds me of, I was once, this was in New Mexico, I was at the museum, I was working there on a Saturday morning, and a guy came in and was trying to sell me cheesecakes. <laughs> what? And I think it was maybe for, like, a fundraiser. Maybe it was just a scam. I don't know. But anyway, I was trying to be polite, so I said, like, oh, I shouldn't eat any cheesecakes. I Whatever. I just thought that was, like, a nice way of saying no. And then the guy went, are you prepared to make a sacrifice? What? Uh... And I... And then, and then there was just a long pause, and I said, I don't know what you're asking, but the answer is no. <laughs> and, and he meant, like, sacrifice my diet, but... Uh... It sounds like he meant your life, honestly. <laughs> it's, like, so ominously. And I just remembered that the other day. Oh, my God. <laughs> but if someone just came up to you and was like, so, do you want to buy some frozen fish? Like, obviously, you're going to say no. You're not going to be like, oh, what a great deal. Yes, this I'll take thing, some. This thing goes off the rails, though, a little bit more when she's brought in by the detective to look at his photo, and she can only recognize the drug photo of him, not the other photo. It's got to be the drug photo. Like, this woman is unreliable to me. I'm just saying. Yeah, the thing is, I... This, unlike the other eyewitnesses, this isn't someone that knew him. Right. So I don't really take it nearly as seriously. No. She said that as he was leaving, she realized he had, she had seen his face in a missing poster at the post office. But yeah, she didn't recognize when they later showed her that same photo. She didn't recognize him. She recognized his mugshot when he was a bit thinner. And according to Unsolved Mysteries, drunk. Right. Because, That's because so dumb. Mysteries thinks that alcohol changes your physical appearance. Um. Yeah, it's very strange. You know, alcohol grows out your hair immediately, like five fucking inches. And she was like, "Oh, he was a little bit thinner like this, and I could smell the alcohol on him." It's like this mugshot, which also they show the mugshot, and it's not a very good picture. It's like kind of. I forget, overexposed or something. Yeah, it's, it's very there's overexposed. Not, there's not a lot of definition to it. I think this woman was trying to help. I just, I I don't really think that was probably him. Right, right. And if the reenactment is accurate, she realizes that it's this missing person as he's walking away, but she doesn't go like, I'm sorry, sir, do you need help? She lets him like go back to the van, get in the van, and is like, okay, I'm calling the police. Right. Also, like, like, at the same time, the, the detective says, Oh, he well, he just might have got you know like blackout drunk and forgot who he was. Like what? Well, I <laughs> yeah. never heard of that happening. Like I yes. would think yeah. you'd have to be perpetually drunk, like in a total state of drunkenness the entire time to forget who you fucking were for any extended period of time. I think this guy has possibly had like one beer. I don't understand that description of being drunk. It's it's confusing. 
It's uh-huh. as confusing as that guy that was pretending to stumble down a hill in the Stefan Mikulak story. It's all fucking confusing at this point. But then, for some reason, we only now learn that a couple days after AJ's disappearance, a golf course maintenance worker who called the city police to say that while he was out there, like, picking up trash or something, he at the, at the park where AJ's car was found, he saw a man getting forced into a car. That doesn't make sense, though, because it happened during the day and he went disappearing at night. It's true. But I don't understand why we don't hear that until the end. It's also a different car. It's a white car. And it's not a red compact car like he was right. seeing. I, I think I it's know. because they checked it out and it didn't really go anywhere and it didn't really add anything to it. So I don't think it has anything to do with anything, to be honest. Um, but there's also no known reason why someone would kidnap him. Right. Uh, the police at this point conclude that the note is a prank, which, Helene, rude. Please That's stop doing that. That's not a yeah. prank. But buying your, your spouse a rat tail and sewing it into their hair <laughs> at night is a prank. Yeah, it's, that's a hilarious prank that everyone should do. Oh yeah, totally. But, yeah, this is just cruel. I don't, I don't know what that was about. And then at this point, the cop says, "Well, we have no evidence of foul play, but we have no evidence that he just left and left either." The end. And I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, there's no update to this. No, it's just we don't know what the fuck happened to this dude. That's poor it. AJ. I know. Yeah. He seemed like like he seemed like he was had his life together. He'd been sober for eight years and all of a sudden he just fall off the wagon. Like I'm not saying that it's not possible, but it's just like seems very unlikely. I don't see how he could be in a constant state of being blackout drunk when he yeah. didn't even have his wallet. Exactly. Like, what's he buying booze with? How's he getting around with without his car where is he getting the fish there's a lot of questions (laughs) (laughs) um i will say now that i think about it the uh of the amnesia case that i was talking about involves a guy that has a tilapia farm oh wow (laughs) maybe it's maybe it's people who have amnesia maybe it's the same guy maybe i don't know interesting i feel bad for aj i I feel like it's on unlikely that he just fell off the wagon since he had all these people to support him with sobriety like if that had happened i think he just would have reached out to people at his club like i i don't think he would have gone missing for the rest of time he went missing in 1991 and we still don't know what happened to him he has not been drunk this whole time (laughs) it's mysterious yeah, it's very mysterious. Okay, that is the end of the episode. It is time by law to rate yes. it. Yes, and our first category, which we can give a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumbs sideways, uh, is mysteriousness. I have to say thumbs up. Thumbs I think up. it's very, very mysterious, up. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a lot of concrete answers at all, actually. No, we don't. Why are aliens so rude? What uh, happened to most of these people? We right. don't know. We don't fucking mm-hmm. know. Uh, how would you no. rate the reenactment? Oh, that's a tricky one. We have some yeah. scary reenactments, but then yeah. we have that CGI UFO. So it's a real mixed bag. Yeah, I, I would say if you kind of remove Okay, the... but, but the guy's trying to sell a fish in a Ziploc bag. I mean, I that is fucking incredible. That made I the episode. Pushes it, I think that pushes it to I thumbs agree. up. I yeah, I would, I would agree. It's better, would... it's better CGI than we've seen. So for like, oh, yeah. we're just <laughs> I'll give you we're that. just like comparing think, unsolved mysteries to unsolved mysteries. It's, I think it's gonna be a thumbs up. I feel like they really struggle with UFOs in the daytime, and they look much better when they do the UFOs at night. 
Yeah, I think it's a cheat with just some lights in the sky when you have to actually see the whole UFO. That's when things get a little CGI murky. But the the fish reenactment just I did not see that coming. (laughs) No, (laughs) you never know when you get hit with a fucking fish fucking reenactment. It's just boom. There it is in a Ziploc bag. And now all I can think about is those Ziploc bag commercials from when I was a kid. And, you know, they're showing you how strong the Ziploc bag is. You could hold you could throw a whole freaking bunch of like spaghetti sauce in there and it's not going to break through. This came through. Yeah. Uh, So thumbs up. Okay, what's the fashion? fashion? Which I I gotta say, there is some some good fashion in this one. Robert Stack, first that of all, that honky tonk yes. fashion, holy yes. shit! Plus honky tonk fashion, we yeah. get some '90s looks from the witnesses. Ah, yeah. yeah, thumbs up. I'm totally down with that. Uh, you know, plaid shirt that Mikolak had. I'm just down with that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if most people were wearing that, it would just be particularly in Minnesota. Like he was wearing the clothes he wore every day. Oh, but- we- we wear it all the time up here. AJ wears it. It was like, he was a disheveled slob. I barely (laughs) recognized him. You you wear that outfit in Minnesota. People ask you if you have a job interview. That's like dressed up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. It's a, it's a casual place. Um, Robert Stack. I got to give a thumbs up. We got, we got smirks. We got, we got smirks. Yeah. We've got a new trench coat. Look. Uh, Yeah. We got a new trench coat. Look that I'm going to come out of quarantine and put on the fucking map. (laughs) Uh, he can't say people's names right, but neither can I. So I'm going to give him a pass on that. I Thumbs up again. Right? I believe yeah. a thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. And now we're going to rate okay. it on our Robert Stack scale. Zero to five Robert Stacks. Uh, I'm curious what, what you you two think. I would say four. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm landing four, on a four. Stacks. It's not Magic Rock, which is like five. But it yeah. is a right, good episode. Right. I would say it might even be a four and a half. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I, we get some variety to the cases, a lot of mystery. Uh, none of the segments felt like they were overly long. No, no, worth watching. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So we're landed on a, on a four, maybe four and a half. Yep. I think so. Yep. Now, do you, usually at the end of these episodes, we we make a recommendation. Uh, Rob, do you have something you would like to to recommend? Something that is maybe getting you through this this difficult time in the world? Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, for me, I work in a nursing home, and uh, nursing homes in New York are like um, it's a like a worry fest constantly because you don't know if. Yeah, the virus is going to find its way into the building. Thank oh, God. sure. Yeah, it hasn't happened for us. Thank God. We only have 14 cases in our county right now, which is good. We actually, there was 15 and they knocked it down by one. It was a, you know, an, an error in the test. But uh, one thing that I've been using to get through on YouTube, you can find these um, these accounts where people will restore things like uh, toys. Oh, sure. And, and stuff like that. And like uh, just watching them, it's almost like ASMR because like the sounds, because some of them are sped up, like when they're like pounding on oh, a piece of yeah. metal with a hammer or something like that. And like sandblasting metal and stuff like that. It, it kind of calms me down to the point it actually puts me to sleep. So if I need to fall asleep, I'll watch these. So um, there are a few pages that uh, if you want to check out you can um there's one called rescue and restore and uh the guy on there primarily does like uh it's mostly toys and and stuff like that um there's another one called tizzy tube t-y-s-y tube and he does like kind of like uh 
almost wrenches and and like uh equipment and stuff like that uh there's my mechanics is is another good one uh if you're on facebook and you want a kind of compilation of all of this kind of stuff and all these guys uh it's there's a page called we restore and you can just watch videos of people restoring shit and it just like it it, it mellows me out to the point where i i'm not having a bad day anymore and i can fucking sleep at night that, that is a perfect. solid mm-hmm. recommendation have you ever watched those videos mm-hmm. where people make those candles that are different colors where they have yes. to dip them over yes. and over again i find that so yep. <clears throat> relaxing those will sometimes be like served to me as like an ad on facebook i don't even know what it's mm-hmm. what they're selling but every once in a while those will come up as i'm perusing social media and i have to stop and watch them every time oh, i never get that it's so relaxing okay rob have you watched a show on netflix called the repair shop i haven't it is just a sh- shop, possibly just made for the show. It's like a reality show in England, but it's literally just people bringing in things to get fixed, and then English people soothingly fix them. I like this. I'm, I'm going to check that out because uh, I need more of that in my life. Like I, this woman, like has a clock that her blind father made that stops chiming, and so she brings it in, and then they restore it and fix it for her. It's extremely pleasant content. Yeah. It does sound extremely pleasant. I think it's like the fact that like no matter how bad something is, it can be fixed. It can be brought back to some kind of level that it was when it was first made. And it's really kind of amazing to watch them do it. Like it's amazing what sandblasting any kind of metal will do to like bring it back to its like bare bones uh, level and then watching them like do all these things polishing it and sanding it and stuff it it really is probably one of the most relaxing things you can actually watch on the internet that, that is a solid <laughs> recommendation that's, a, that's really good Very nice. okay i have a really quick one which i shared with samantha earlier in the week and, and i feel like a lot of people discovered this this week but the actor leslie jordan <laughs> makes these little videos on Instagram that are the most pleasant thing I've ever watched. You might know him from Will and Grace or American Horror Story. He just turned 65. I swear once you see a picture of him, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about if you don't know the name. But he, like most of us, is quarantined right now and is clearly really bored and is making all these videos where he starts off, hey, hunker downers, and just, like, tells <laughs> random memories or, like, cute things that are happening. He was The one I sent Samantha was him showing off his journal and the stickers that he puts in it, and then he was, like, so excited about his pretty stickers that came. Or he just, like, tells stories from, like, yeah. famous people he's met or... Or why he was baptized 14 times growing up, which is because he's gay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, He's just so charming, and I wish he was my friend. So everyone should go follow him on Instagram because it's really adorable. It's been fun to watch him blow up, like, this entire time during this quarantine. And I'll tell you, like, if you go to, like, TikTok, and uh, TikTok has become this resource for me uh, for random bios of people that were on the titanic and what they did on the titanic when it was going down and like every part yeah it's been pretty amazing like uh, there'll be one guy who's like and and they'll use the movie as a reference you like you remember this guy in titanic this is so and so uh when the boat was going down he literally started getting everybody to boats as quick as they could there were two women that tried to run away and say oh no we'll wait for another one he literally threw them on the boat and you found this on tiktok 
Yes. Yeah. That, like TikTok. Is, I watch on TikTok is educational yeah, at all. There is a lot of like there's great cooking content on TikTok. Like I found a, oh. a wonderful cookie recipe on TikTok that I've made like three or four batches of at this point. And I, it's the simplest wow. recipe. I will just give you the recipe right now. You take a cup of uh, brown sugar, a cup of peanut butter, a one egg, one teaspoon of baking soda, a uh, half a cup of chocolate chips. Mix that together. Put it on a baking sheet. Put it in the oven at 350 for 12 minutes. You're good to go. This is fascinating wow. because the only recipe I've found on TikTok is the White Claw slushy, which I'm not knocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you right now. Mm-hmm. But this is this is fantastic that this content is out there. Yeah. Different you, strokes for different folks. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like the, here's here's the most amazing, amazing thing that I found out because I have another podcast. It's called uh, The Coda. It's a music podcast. And we were doing uh, news stories there for a while. And one of them involved TikTok and how um, it used to be called Musical.ly, music.ly. And when the company that owns TikTok bought it, they bought basically half a million user accounts. So when mm. they formed into TikTok, they had half a million user accounts and they engineered it to a way in which like people go viral very quick on TikTok. There are people at Arista Records that represent people on TikTok. Uh, yeah, people from a music label represent people on TikTok. It's very wow. wild. <laughs> that is that is yeah. wild. Okay, Samantha, do you have a recommendation for us or is it just to play more that's, Animal Honestly, Crossing? that's all I've been doing, so that's really the only thing I can recommend. <laughs> but I second both of you your have, recommendations. Okay, but do you have a recommendation for, say, new players to Animal Crossing, such as myself? What should we work on? So my recommendation, and this is going to be controversial, but my recommendation is to time travel when you're getting first set up. And I know some people are like really against this. And if you are in it, if you're in it for like the process, where like waiting an entire day to like have something finished is satisfying to you, then I mean, that's a different experience. But for me, I kind of wanted to get going faster. And the beginning of the game is pretty slow. If you like, it's meant to be done in like, Every day you get something is supposed to be with real time, but you can artificially speed up time by going into the settings on your switch and basically just saying it's it's tomorrow. (laughs) So you can Mm. trick it into thinking it's the next day and you can get through the first like setup process faster, which can be kind of a for me, it was a slog and I didn't want to wait. And I'm also an impatient person. So. I see no harm. This is a controversial opinion, trust me. But I see no harm in doing some time travel at the beginning. (laughs) People having meltdowns. Oh, yes. Like internet meltdowns about the fact that other people are doing this. And I don't, it doesn't affect your game at all. Literally, I don't know why. No one. This is not a competition. (laughs) I don't know why people care, but people are like having a meltdown. People people see it as like cheating, which I don't understand because you can't win this game. Like it's not, it's not. So that is honestly my recommendation is if you find the beginning of the game to be slow, you really want to get going. I do it, play the game how you want and do some time travel. The other thing that I did a lot was I just, I Googled because there's things about the game that are just hard to figure out Um, or find like a, a Facebook group. Maybe there's like there's actually a specific Facebook group for people who are playing Animal Crossing that are over the age of 25. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's awesome. People will give you tips. The the same questions you might have will be asked. I mean, it's like anything else. And then people will also like trade. So if you really want to get into it, people will like trade. I actually did a villager swap 
I traded one of my villagers for a hamster named Flurry, and I do not regret it. Flurry is adorable. So I would love to get one of rid of one of my coming for you. <laughs> There's I feel like everyone has this experience where you get like an ugly or an annoying villager that you just want gone. For me, it's first of all, she's ugly, but every time I talk to her, she's like, Why are you talking to me? I'm like, all right, diva. Go. Yeah, she's out of there. The first chance I get. <laughs> I think that brings everything to a close, yes. friends and enemies. I think we are now at the end. So everybody should check out Rob on our Strange Skies podcast. Yeah, Rob, tell people how they can find both of your podcasts. So, uh, yeah, if you if you have a podcast app that you love, uh, our Strange Skies and the Coda Music Podcast is on it. Uh, if you want to check out my website, it's OurStrangeSkies.com. We got a lot of cool stuff over there. Um, if you want to check out the sources that we use in any episode, uh, you can find them in the show notes for those. We have... Oh, man, imagine <laughs> if we did that. It would just be Unsolved Mysteries Wiki every time. Right. Uh, we have, uh, you know, some cool merch over there, too, if you want to check that out. We have, uh, you know, links to Patreon, all that good stuff. So, ourstrangeguys.com. Well, thanks for being with us today, Rob. Thank you for having me on, because, like... I, I love you ladies so much. I love your podcast. You bring me joy every week. So it was, it was an honor to be here. Well, and it's really nice just to have someone that actually knows what they're talking about <laughs> coming on the yeah. show. <laughs> Literally. It's less work for yeah, us. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> okay. So you can find us on all the social medias that perhaps it's you. Yep. And we have a Patreon uh, that's almost Patreon slash perhaps it's you. And <laughs> we spelled it wrong. I don't know what happened. <laughs> what happened? I, we don't know. But it's close to that. You you can find it. Or you could go to our website, perhaps it's you.com, and that will show you the way. Our newest bonus episode that came out was about celebrity ghost stories. And not all of those people were celebrities, but some of them did have some good ghost stories. And this month, we're going to be talking about Scream 3. A controversial choice as my favorite Scream it's a you know it's a seminal classic it's it's a controversial classic i agree but it's a seminal classic i learned the other day how much people hate that movie a lot of people do a lot of people do is there something else we're supposed to say at the end of these oh that you have to give us five stars five stars no less yeah it's required but we don't accept less than five stars and oh if you want to send in something for the zine yes we are still accepting submissions perhaps it's you, podcast, gmail.com. Take a break from solving mysteries. You're off the hook. Bye, Bye everyone.